Father, we thank you one more time to stand in a pulpit and preach. Thank you for your eternal, infallible, inerrant word. We know that it is absolute truth and that we can take these truths to our heart. And I pray, God, that I will preach in such a way this morning that your word will become food for our soul, that your word will pierce even to the dividing asunder of the innermost being in our hearts. Help us, O oh Lord, to put attentive ears to the test this morning. And let the word of the Lord become a lamp to our feet, and a light to our path, an instruction for our, our consciousness. Help us, Lord, to understand your word more clearly today. And help us to leave here, O oh Lord, encouraged and strengthened and instructed. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Everybody said amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Turn to Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1. I'll start by telling you that the book of Joshua is a book of transition. The book of Joshua is not for the faint at heart. Uh, the book of Joshua is about old things passing away and all things becoming new. Uh, the book of Joshua is a, a book about extremes. It's about uh, having not and then receiving abundance. It's about a lot of different uh, biblical themes that are played out right here in this uh, first few chapters of this book. It lets us know that God always has a plan. And it lets us know and informs us that God has always got a person. God has always got an anointed person to step in and be the leader that God wants to lead. You'll find a strange word in the reading of the text today, but it's the word command. Command. Command is an interesting word. It's an Old Testament word. You don't find it much in the New Testament. You find it some in the language of Jesus. You have heard this, but I command you this, this, and that. And especially about love, he said, I command you to love one another. It's not a suggestion. It's not a uh, prerogative. It is a command. It is an absolute, authoritative, instructive command. Do this. Love one another. I command you to love one another. Uh, we find it again in the temptation uh, language on uh, the Mount of, of Temptation when uh, the devil said, uh, If thou be Christ, command these stones that they would be made bread. Evidently, Satan knows about commanding also. Evidently, our adversary knows about biblical language that has to do with commands that God gives to us. But I want to tell you, uh, to be commanded is one thing, and to command is another. And many people will never be chosen to command because they never have been commanded. Many people will never lead because they've never been led. Many people will, will never experience that, that God putting you in the right position for, to lead because they've never been a faithful follower. Never been a faithful follower. You see, God will never put somebody in a task that they are not big enough for or they aren't prepared for without his anointing and his instruction. God will see to it that you are instructed in righteousness. He will see to it that you are the person that he needs for that task. When God chooses men and women 
to lead, he qualifies them. And he anoints. He anoints. For every one of us in this house today, there is a call of God for your life. For every one of you in this room this morning, the Bible said the call of God is a holy calling. We receive from him a holy calling in 1 Timothy 1. A holy calling. Not according to our merits, not according to our, our talents or our, our gifting, but according to his eternal purpose which was given to us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Now that's some interesting words because it has eternity in it. And it has the whole uh, scope of uh, prophetic utterance all the way, both front and back, amen, of who God has chosen. In other words, if God knew you before you were you, then God had a plan for you. The example of that is in Jeremiah, who was the weeping prophet. And the Bible uh, said God spoke to Jeremiah, and he said, Before you were conceived in your mother's womb, I knew you. Now that's interesting because it lets us know that God is committed to his creation, amen, and has a plan and an idea and a purpose for everyone before you ever were conceived in your mother's womb. Amen. That's, that's an interesting thought that the Lord told Jeremiah before you were even were you. Before, in, in another place it says, Mark, when you were just substance and had not even taken form yet in your mother's womb, when you were yet substance, I knew you. So God knew us before we ever were a bouncing baby girl or a bouncing baby boy. God had a plan for our life. And we received this holy calling, not according to our gifting or our ability or our skills, but according to his plan, his eternal purpose, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before the world began. And here is the, the summation of that. Every one of us are happiest and most productive, and God is most blessed and most praised when we find our calling and we work within the boundaries of our calling. Isn't that something? You mean I can be happy serving the Lord and what he created me to do? You mean I can find joy and fulfillment and peace in what God called me to and I hear people pray sometimes, Lord, just make me all you want me to be. That's good, accurate praying. Amen. But following up is a bigger chore. So in this commanding, we see God preparing people. We know that God prepared Moses. We know that God had a plan and a purpose for Moses. We know that Aaron had a promise. We know that Ur, her had a, a promise. Amen. We're going to talk about some interesting folks before we get through here. Joshua chapter 1 verse 9. Have not I commanded thee, be strong and of a good courage. Be strong. Have I not commanded you? First thing for a leader is be strong. Now he's not saying be angry. He's saying be strong. He's not, not saying be hard-headed and argumentative. He's saying be strong. Be strong. I've seen a lot of, lot of people that uh, just 
they weren't strong. They talked big, but they weren't strong. Sometimes the, the uh, amount of your strength is not determined by the uh, loudness or amplification of your vocal cords. Amen. Sometimes God commands and wants us to have an attitude of submission to him and then be strong in the conviction that what God has called you to do, that's what you're going to do. Strength means continue being and doing what God wants you to do. That's people that are strong. My Lord, if, if, if anger is a replacement for strength, we're in trouble. Amen. What is the one thing that God wants us to get is that he wants us to be strong in the things that pertain to the Word of God and the things that pertain to God's will for our life. That's exactly what being strong is all about. Are you strong in the, in the Bible? Are you strongly committed to the Bible? Are you strong in the Word of God, strong in those things that are absolute truth? Have you, have you decided that you're going to be strong about some things, some convictions that you've got, that the devil knows all about your conviction about that? And, you know, it, it, it's tough sometimes to, to adjust to the different pressures that you get that test your strength. But when David said, the Lord is the strength of my life. The Lord is the strong man in my life. The Lord is the strong owner of the house. The Lord is the one that controls what comes in and goes out of this house. The Lord is the one who is the strong influencer in this house. The Lord is the one who determines right and wrong for this house. Be strong, therefore, in the power of his might. Be strong, therefore, in the power of the Lord's might. Is your God a mighty God? Is the Lord in your life a mighty Lord? A mighty Lord? Oh, this text tells us, be, have not I commanded be strong a commandment not a suggestion not a request a mandate be strong and he said and at the same time that you're strong at the same time that you're displaying strength be of good courage now modern translation is don't be a wimp biblical translation is be strong and and then the power of his might be strong and of a good courage. Do not be afraid. Well, now, Lord, right now we've got a problem because there are some things that bother me, some things I'm afraid of, some things frighten me, some things scare me, some things cause me a lot of uneasiness. And my faith is tested most when I have to do this or I have to go through that or I have to make this trip or do this or uh, meet that obligation. And I'm tested most in my strength when that happens. And the Lord says, well, I've got an imperative for you about that. Be of good courage and don't be afraid. Be of good courage and don't be afraid. He didn't say don't be concerned. He didn't say don't be uh, attentive and mindful. Don't, it's all right to be that. You better be that. 
But he's saying, don't let that control you to the point that you would be frightened and afraid and be dreadful and worry. When he says, take no thought about where substance will come to eat, where all of these necessities come. Hey, take no thought about it. He's not saying don't be concerned and be mindful about it. He's saying just don't worry about it. Don't sit around on edge worried about it. Because sometimes worry can make you a person that you don't want to be. Sometimes worry, and another fitting word is there for, is anxiety. And what, some of your translations will say, be anxious for nothing. And what that really means is, don't worry. Don't worry. And, and don't be fretful and don't, don't be uh, obnoxious. Don't let worry and the strain and stress of a situation like that. He said, I'm just going to give you a command about that. I'm going to command you, don't be afraid. Don't be anxious about it. Yes, pay your bills on time. Yes, be mindful of, of things that are needful in your life, but don't let them put you in a nervous frenzy where you constantly worry about it. Don't worry about it. Don't be anxious about it. And we know all of those Solomonic admonitions about lilies and about flowers and sparrows and, and these things that God cares for. And, and the uh, question at the end of all of that is, is, don't you know that God will take care of you? Are not you better and bigger than lilies and, and tulips and, and uh, flowers and that kind of thing and sparrows? And he said, not one of them, not one of them would fall to the ground without your father. And I used to think that meant without him knowing about it. I, I grew up believing that all that that entailed was that the father knew about it. When I got my lexicon out, I should have brought it with you today and showed you what it looks like. A Greek lexicon translate the Greek into the English. There are some that tra translate English into Hebrew or Hebrew into English, so you have to get the right thing you're speaking. But in the, in the original Greek, it, it gives us a clearer understanding about what is meant. And the word that is used there for the, but without the father knowing, without the father, no, a sparrow would not fall without the father. The verbiage there, it goes this way, without him cupping his hands and breaking the fall of a sparrow that falls to the ground. In other words, this last winter when the little sparrow sat outside your window and shivered in, cold, in the cold and finally fell off the limb, your heavenly father cupped his hands and caught the sparrow in the fall. Jesus said, not a sparrow shall fall without your father. And what's the one, Michelle, about the hair on your head? Not a hair. Sorry about that. Not a hair. Not a hair. On your head, he said, will be harmed. Wow. That's, that's quite, a, quite a pledge to us, isn't it? And then Joshua commanded the officers of the people, saying, pass through the host and command the people, saying, prepare victuals. For within three days we're going to pass over this Jordan to go in and possess the land which the Lord your God giveth you to possess it. 
And to the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half of the tribe of Manasseh spake Joshua, saying, Remember the word which Moses the servant of the Lord commanded you, saying, The Lord your God hath given you rest and hath given you this land. Your wives, your little ones, your cattle shall remain in this land with which Moses gave you on this side of Jordan. But ye shall pass before your brethren armed all the mighty men of valor and help them. In other words, there was three tribes that did not decide to go over the Jordan into the promised land. And Moses just gave them the property on the, this side of Jordan. They never inherited the promised land. They just got what Moses gave them because they didn't have whatever it took, what fortitude it took to cross the Jordan and go into the promised land and possess it. They lacked that. And Moses said, well, then just stay where you are and be blessed. But here's something you need to know. Don't just sit there and be comfortable. Don't sit and soak and sour said, when something's going on with the people of God that had the stuff to go across, oh, glory to God, said, then you help them. You help them. When they pass before you armed and are going into battle, then don't you sit there on your couch and say, there goes the church. Get yourself up out of your recliner and get out of there and get in the march and get in the line and help them. Amen. Hey, who are you helping? Who are you helping? By Lord, it matters who you're helping. Did you know that? You need to be helping the right ones and need to have your hand in something God's doing. Your wives, your little ones, your cattle shall remain in the land which Moses gave you. All the mighty men of valor and help them until the Lord hath given you, your brethren rest as he hath given you. And they also have possessed the land which the Lord your God giveth them then you shall return unto the land of your possession and enjoy it which Moses, the Lord's servant, gave you on this side of Jordan toward the sun rising. And brother, they responded in a way that every pastor loves to hear. I said they responded in a way every pastor, every leader loves to hear. And they answered Joshua saying, All that thou commandest, us we will do and whithersoever thou sendest us we will go according as we have hearkened unto Moses in all things so will we hearken unto thee only the Lord thy God be with thee as he was with Moses well where in the world did this young Joshua come from where do where do we hunt to find his introduction on the scene well we go all the way back to the 17th chapter of the book of exodus and it's around the ninth verse if you'd like to put that up there for me around the ninth verse up until then we don't know anything about a joshua we do know today that his name originally was ahasha which literally means savior ahasha well praise god that's a good name but moses changed his name and called him joshua Joshua, which is a corrupted form of Jesus, as we call it. Jesus and Joshua have the same name. And go back to the root word, which talks about Savior and Deliverer. Amen. 
So here's a, here's a young man that all of his life has been called a deliverer. A man that all of his life has been reminded that God's got a purpose for you. And God's got a plan for you. And in other passages in, in Exodus, we find him, the Bible said he was a minister unto Moses. And we find out that he was a, a man that, that God uh, had put in him a love for, for leadership. With Mo he even at one time ascended with Moses up on the mount uh, of Sinai, which he's the only one that ever did that. And we find him in 17, and Moses said unto Joshua, now let's get the situation here and, and find out where these people are. They're at a place called Riphidim, and Riphidim means a place of rest. A place of rest it, it would mean like something has been placed in its in its place that it's supposed to be and it rests upon the support and the strength so that it will not move and that's what Rephidim means to the children of Israel rest meant something else to them it meant that they had won the battle against of the desert brother they survived the desert we're looking at some winners here I said, we're looking at some winners. We're looking at some folks that'd rather fight than switch. We're looking at some folks that had their made-up mind that they were going to go through and achieve the goal. We had some people that were determined this desert is not going to whip us. These harsh circumstances, this hot beaming sun in the daytime and cold shivering nights in the nighttime, we're just not going to fall prey to all of that. But there's one thing that is so precious in the desert that you got to have. And if you're a chemist, that's H2O. Or as some would say, aqua. It's water. Water. And this is one of those experiences at the same place, it had three different names. It was originally called Rephidim. And then they changed the name to Masa. Masa in Hebrew means burden. Burden. Temptation. Trial. Trials and temptation. You ever had trials and temptation? Trials. Have you ever been through a period of time that you just titled it Trials and Tribulation? Temptation, test, oh yeah, time of testing, time of, of assault against my faith and what I believe. You ever wandering around in the desert said, oh, if I could just get somewhere and get out of this dryness and get out of this, this boredom and uh, all this sand and all of this, this uh, hard way of getting anything done. And they've come to a place here in Moses says, he goes to prayer to God earlier. I, I should read it, but you can read it. Earlier in the, in the, in the text, he, he, he says, God said, these people are about to kill me. These people hate me. These people here at Massa, they have no water. And if we don't get them some water pretty soon, then Lord, they're going to stone me to death. Now, wait just a minute. Right here, we've got him commanding them, and we've got them saying, whatever you want us to do, we'd just be happy to do that. Wherever you want us to go, we'll just go with a good attitude and go with a sweet spirit. 
and about 10 verses before, they're wanting to kill him and stone him to death. Such is the life of a pastor. You got to knock a home run every Sunday morning. You got to preach like Billy Graham every time you open the book. Got to have one brown eye and one blue eye. One that parts your hair on the right hand and one that parts his hair on the left hand. In other words, you've got to try to please people. Here Moses is trying to please people, but brother, he's, he's got to go to God and say, God, this is over my head. I don't have any way. They're wanting water, and I don't have any water. Could you please direct me to some water? And God said, sure. Well, doesn't the Bible say, ask and you'll receive, seek and you'll find, knock and it'll be open. He said, God, where can I find some water? He said, it's over at Horeb. So here goes Joshua, and he gets up and gets, gets over to Horeb, and, and Moses has made it over there, and the Bible said Moses struck the rock, or spoke to the rock, I'm sorry, second time he struck it. And when he struck it, God said, uh-oh, I commanded you to speak. Come on, somebody, you mean God is that exact about commandments that he gives us? That if we take our own way and do it our way instead of his way and we just kind of cut in on his ground and, and say, God, I'm going to handle this uh, uh, in my own way. Uh, you said speak to it, I'm going to slap it. And in the end, that cost him. He wasn't permitted to go over into the promised land. But brother over here at Horeb, when he speaks to it at this time, here the water comes gushing out, and Lord, the people are all rejoicing. They're, they're all having such a good time. And suddenly, Masa, the place of temptation and the place of trial and the, and the place of, uh, of severe, intense assault, suddenly becomes a good place because all of a sudden, we got water. And brother, if you've got water in a desert, you've got an oasis. And next thing you know, you've got palm trees growing. And next thing you know, you've got green, verdant life going on all around you because you've got some water. It's also called a place of Meribah, M-E-R-I-B-A, Meribah. Mariba is, it means this, quarreling. I don't know why God's people can't get blessed by the water because as soon as they get, went from one prayer being answered and God giving water, next thing you know, they've moved over to a place called Mariba, which means quarreling, fussing and fighting. What is there about our nature that we can't hold a blessing? What is it about our spirit that we just can't deal with God answering prayer? What is it about us that as soon as God gives us one thing, we've moved on to the next before we ever get to church to say, thank you, Lord, for the last one? 
And wouldn't it be great if our faith could just keep up with us? That we outrun our coverage. We outpunt our coverage. We kick it to where there's no faith available there yet, hadn't got there yet. But fussing and quarreling has. You know, the one thing, and I've written many, many papers about Pentecostals, and in the present, in present time writing one now. You know, the one thing about Pentecostals, Mark, this is something in our history, that Pentecostals have always had trouble fussing and fighting. They always have. That's somehow, I don't know why. But boy, when God gave us the Holy Ghost, next thing you know is we're just a, a, one big bunch of quarrelsome people. But the Bible said he would lead us and guide us into all the truth. And the Bible said that uh, he would teach us all things whatsoever the Lord has commanded us. <laughs> well, my Lord, either we're not listening to his teaching because if you look at us, there's 120 different churches of God. 120 registered. And a bunch of them that aren't registered, they just put up a sign. Saw one the other day as I was going over Sand Mountain out there, Randy. It said, uh, uh, some hill, Hills, Hills Chapel Church of God number two. Well, where is number one? I don't even see a town. How did you get a number two? How did y'all get in such a fuss that you shut the whole town down and you're just a, just a church now? Lord, have mercy on it. God gave us the Holy Ghost. Jesus prayed for us. You know what Jesus' prayer for us? Uh, if, if we'd been praying in Jesus, said, oh, God, give them power to walk on them scorpions. God, give them power over all, all the power of the enemy. You know what Jesus prayed for us? He said, Father, sanctify them that they may be one. You know what? I've just come to believe that harvest is a whole lot better when we're together. I really believe that with all of my heart. I really do. That place was called Massa, and then it was called Mariba, and a lot of these things took place at, at some of those strange-sounding places. It was right there at that same place when... Did, did you know that the family of Moses, you, you, you don't realize how much family got in this. You remember my little story about coming to church one Sunday, and Rachel was little then, and and I was sitting in the front seat, and I was looking at my notes and everything, and, and uh, I asked Debbie, I said, Debbie, what was that man's name that uh, held up the hand of Moses? One of them was Aaron. What was the other one's name? And she said, Lord, I don't know. Rachel said, Daddy, it wasn't a man. It was a woman. And I said, uh, no, honey, you're, you're, you're all, you're messed up there. That's not... I'm not messed up about it either, Daddy. I know it was a woman. And I said, no, there's no way it was a woman. Just sit back there, and I'll find it in this concordance. I'll get it in a minute. And I was just running, and she said, Daddy, I'm telling you, it was a woman. And I finally closed my concordance, and after I looked it up, you know what it said? The guy's name was H-U-R. H-U-R. <laughs> 
her. And Rachel politely said, see there, Daddy? I told you it was a woman. Well, unfortunately, it was a, what was that? Don't name me Sue. Well, here's a man named her. Woo, how about that? How would you like to live your whole life with a, name, a man named her? But you know what? He was fortunate enough to find him a wife. And do you know who his wife was? Dun, 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 dun. His wife's name was Miriam. Do you know who Miriam was? Moses' sister. That means her was Moses' brother-in-law. That means Aaron was his brother-in-law. And her, who is of the tribe of Judah, and how many of you know what the tribe of Judah does? Come on, somebody. Where are all my Sunday school teachers? The tribe of Judah is that worshiping bunch. The tribe of Judah is that marching with the, with the flags. And the, the tribe of Judah is that, that group that hallelujahs, glory to God. They're all the time praising. They're all the time, they're the worshipers as the Judas. The tribe of Judah is the tribe that does all that loud, hallelujah, glory to God, thank you, Jesus. I wish I had a whole church of Judas. I kind of think I'm a Judah. I know a lot of you think I am. Well, you take praise on one hand holding Moses up. Moses has gotten out of where he's sitting on a rock. Miriam brought him a rock to sit on. Now, see there, you're sitting in such a padded thing, and it's so comfortable. Praisers, they have to sit on rocks. Gotcha, didn't I? Got praise going on on one hand, and, and, and we've got Aaron over on the other side. That's right doing and right living and obeying the commands of the Lord. You got people obeying the commands of the Lord and people worshiping and shouting and praising, and they're winning the battle. But any time that the, the Lord down his arm, then the battle was lost to the Amalekites. You know who these Amalekites are? Oh, they've been around since forever. Let me see. He is the great-grandson of Esau. Now, wow. Joshua, he's of the, of the tribe of Ephraim. Joshua is of a tribe of people that serve in the, in the tabernacle. And so we've got tabernacle worship, we've got, we've got praising, and, and we've got living right going on, and we're winning the battle, but as soon as the hands of Moses collapse, then we start losing. An Amalekite starts winning, an Amalekite, an Esau. Esau is Edomites. I laughingly call you an Edomite sometimes when... Because we're Edomites around here, you know. We, we eat about everything we might. <clears throat> but isn't it something to realize that while all of that was going on, God had a Joshua. And that when time came and Moses was taken out of the picture, 
carried up into the mountain and received up to God and buried wherever God put him. An adventure channel and learning channel and A&E sure can't find out where it is. They've been looking for a long time. They can't find that ark and they can't find that burial place of Moses. You know why? Because God buried him. And I'll tell you something else. You'll read over in Hebrews. I'll sit down and preach a little. Over in Hebrews, it says that Satan disputed with God over the body of Moses. Satan and God had this dispute over whose body Moses belonged to. And God won that battle. I said, God won that battle. And here's some great Here's some great truth for you. God has so securely got that body that though it's been in the ground 4,000 years, on that grave, getting up morning when death's prison bars are broken, we shall rise. Hallelujah, we shall rise. Brother, when Gabriel puts that trumpet to his lip and And suddenly from all over the world, graves start bursting wide open. Glory to God. Wherever God buried him, there's going to be a resurrection. There's going to grave burst wide open. Hallelujah. And the body of Moses will come forth like all other ones in the first resurrection. And we shall be like the Lord Jesus in a body like unto his own glorious body. And the Bible said, neither can they die anymore. And they shall be equal to the angels being the children of God and the children of the resurrection. Sometimes you go through your masses. Sometimes you go through your maribas. Sometimes your rephidims turn into something like they're not. David had a place called Adullam. Buddy, when he was running from Saul, and his family wouldn't even have anything to do with him. In 1 Samuel chapter 22, 21, it talks about him getting over there in a, at Gath in the Philistines and how bad it was. At, 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 and Ashish was the king. And Ashish hated the Israelites. And if he had just known David was there, but he was hid. Sometimes God will hide you. Sometimes you're safer hid in the camp of the enemy than you are in the house of your friends. Mm, boy, that was, that, that was weighty, wasn't it? Sometimes you're more safe in the house of your enemies than you are in the house of your friends. They asked Jesus, where did you get these wounds and where did you get all of this? He said, in the house, I was wounded in the house of my friends. Ooh. Put Psalm 142 up there and then we'll go see what Top of the River has for lunch. <laughs> Psalm 142. You know what this one's called? It's called the Ad Adulam 
song. It's, it's the psalm from the cave. Number one, got it. I cried unto the Lord with my voice, and with the voice unto the Lord did I make my supplication. I poured out my complaint before him. I showed before him my trouble. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then thou knewest my path. When I was so upset that my spirit was overwhelmed in me, when I was falling apart at the seams, when I was at my wit's end, when I didn't know what in the world I was going to do, thou knowest my path. You mean God don't lose you when you get off like that? No, no, he don't lose. He's got something a whole lot better than GPS. Thou knewest my path in the way wherein I walked have they privately laid a snare for me. Boy, I looked on my right hand, and behold, but there was no man that would know me. Refuge failed me. I didn't know where to go. And no man cared for my soul. How many times have I preached that sermon, Mark? No man cared for my soul. Woo. Most valuable thing you've got is a soul. Because there's not another one like it. Every one of you today have something that there is no replica. You've got something that nothing can ever be reproduced like it. It's your soul. You know, there are things that are precious to you because of the person that gave it to you. Have you got things that your dresser that your wife says, why don't you just throw that old knife away? Why don't you get rid of this? Why don't you get rid of that? That old pocket watch, it won't run. What are you doing with that thing laying around in the... Well, my granddaddy gave me that. And I just hang on to it because it belonged to him. And uh, it means something to me. It may not mean anything to you, but it means something to me. Things are valuable to you because of who gave it to you. Things are valuable to you because of their rarity. And I told you before, you've got a soul and there's not another one like it. Things are valuable to you because of the great cost I got some things that's in a safe. Got some things I don't want to take a chance on anybody getting that or losing that. I, I make sure I can keep up with that because it, it's pretty valuable. You know how valuable your soul is? The Bible said, what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Brother, you've got something that's worth more than that car you drive. You've got something that's worth more than that house you live in. You've got something that's worth more than the whole subdivision you live in. You've got something that's worth more than the whole city you live in. You've got something that's worth more than the whole world. Because it doesn't have a price. It's priceless.
Stand with me, please. Let's read the rest of it. No man cared for my soul. I cry unto thee, O Lord. Do you remember the message I preach about the cry out? That things change when there's a cry out, right? That redactive curve, it starts coming back up. When? When you cry out. David said, this poor man cried unto the Lord, cried out to the Lord. What happened? He heard me, and he delivered me out of all of my troubles. I cried unto thee, O Lord. I said, thou art my refuge and my portion in the land of the living. My Lord, attend unto my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecution, for they are stronger than I am. Bring my soul out of this prison that I'm in, Lord, that I may praise thy name. The righteousness, thy righteousness shall compass me about, for thou shalt deal bountifully with me. Oh, blessed be God. That's called the prayer from the cave. If you ever hear it or read it, that's what it's talking about. Psalm 142, the prayer from the cave. If I were you, I'd memorize it. Because it's a good prayer to pray when you need one. Thank you, Lord, for allowing us to be in your house today. And thank you for the wonderful anointing of the Holy Spirit we feel in this place. I know there are people that are going through great difficulty in this room today. There are many people that are at their Rephidim and at their Massa and at their Meribah. But Lord, I pray that all of that would change. That that refreshing water of the Holy Spirit would just bathe our souls right now. Touch us, God, with an anointing from the Holy One. And may we leave this place today encouraged, knowing that God will deal with us bountifully. Bless as we depart from this house of worship in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. 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 Shake hands and be friendly. And you have a great week.